following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Um, we're going to be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 2 at the... Uh, second part of the nativity account in Matthew. We looked uh, last week at the first uh, part of the Christmas story in Matthew in in chapter 1. And so this morning we're going to look at the story of the wise men or the magi. So uh, if you'll follow with me as we read Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Um, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Um, One second. Uh, Do you like celebrating Christmas? I hope so. Um, it seems like sometimes there's a lot of pressure on Christmas, um, but it's, uh, it's a, it's, it is for most people, I, I hope, and I hope for you, it is a very special holiday uh, and one that people love to celebrate, um, especially I think more in the West, if you come from, most of us come from Western countries, where Christmas is a pretty big deal, uh, if not for the shopping, for everything else, uh, it's a big deal. And so, you know, what is it that makes Christmas special to you? Um, of course, we know that like for kids and maybe for some of you older kids who still hold on to the thrill and excitement of getting up in the morning on Christmas or if you do it on Christmas Eve and getting to unwrap this pile of presents. Of course, that's exciting and certainly that uh, adds to the, the joy of the season. But it's, it's interesting to me that even as we grow older as adults and presents may not hold the same uh, thrill for us that it did when we were kids. Um, it still is a time of great joy. 
And uh, not just among Christians or among people who have a lot of reason to celebrate Jesus, but I think it's fascinating that um, the world uh, has really capitalized on this. Um, and all kinds of movies um, have this theme of joy at Christmas. Uh, and it's a big deal to have Christmas joy, the Christmas spirit. So what is it that makes this season so joyful? Or why we, we want it to be a joyful season? Well, for, uh, for sure, one reason is that um, we, we, we want joy. And at Christmas time, it seems like people give an extra effort to make joy happen. And, uh, you know, it's this huge expectation that we're going to have joy. And it's, it's something you can pull off if it's just a short time, like one day or maybe one hour, right? We can arrange our life in such a way that we can choose to put off our frustrations and enjoy the moment, enjoy each other. Uh, so there's a lot of intentionality about the joy of Christmas, for sure. Um, but, but the truth is that for a lot of people, maybe you, uh, Christmas does not have great memories. It's not associated with a joyful time, and certainly that's true of a lot of people. It's not a particularly joyful time. But it's interesting that even for the most optimistic Christmas followers, right, the people who are, like, are sold out all out about joy in Christmas, you know who you are. You Christmas fanatics, right? Uh, even for those people, uh, Christmas can be a season uh, that is anything but joyful. It can be full of stress and frustration and worry and unhappiness. Uh, getting all the shopping done, uh, the little prayer of confession, you know, kind of tagged on some of these things. Getting all the cards out, buying the right present. You've got to get that perfect present for your wife or your husband or your kids. Uh, fixing the perfect dinner. Um, all the special programs and parties, all this going on, and, and all the while being happy is not easy, right? Um, well, and the good news about the true message of Christmas, of course, is that Christmas promises us true and lasting, true and lasting joy, uh, not just for a season, but for all of life. And that's why Jesus came. Um, he wants us to have joy. Uh, and in this account of the Magi, and I like to call them Magi rather than wise men, because uh, for one, the Greek word there is the word we get the word magician from. Uh, they really were Magi, not wise men. Uh, and a Magi was basically a sorcerer. Wise men makes them sound like wise people. Actually, they were fools because uh, they were worshiping the wrong God. Uh, but they found the true uh, God when they found Jesus. So I, I like using the word Magi. I'll but the wise men, you can, you can take your pick. Um, they discovered joy. The most unlikely candidates, in fact, discovered joy in this story. So let's see how they do that and um, see if we can learn something from them about joy in our own life. Um, so start off with the, the story, and I'm not going to go in great detail through the story, but there are some interesting things in the story worth highlighting uh, in terms of the contrasts that are going on here. Okay, maybe that'll be better. Um, the story is a story of contrast, and it's very interesting. The main contrast of the story, and really the main point of the story, is that uh, Matthew is trying to show that Jesus comes as king. Uh, and he does that by contrasting Jesus with Herod and the Jewish leaders. Um, 
In this story, of course, uh, the Magi first appear to Herod, who is called throughout the, narr- the, the story, this narrative, he's called King Herod. But in fact, he really wasn't much of a king. Uh, and he was uh, not the rightful heir to the throne. And the main contrast that you see in this story is that uh, Matthew is showing Jesus is the legitimate uh, heir to David's throne who has a rightful claim to rule and to be king. And in chapter 1, he sets it up with the genealogy, uh, the adoption by Joseph of Jesus. So uh, he's showing these, these two contrasts, that uh, Herod was, in fact, uh, a usurper. Uh, he secured his position on the throne over Palestine by successfully manipulating Marcus Aurelius, uh, Marcus Antonius, right, who was the Roman emperor. He kind of snuck his way into power, in other words. Uh, he, he was not an heir of David. He had no right or claim to the throne. And so he was, in many ways, a, a fraud. But there's some other interesting uh, contrasts in this passage. Um, it says that uh, in the prophecy that this Messiah will come from the city of, of Bethlehem and he will be a king who will rule, who will shepherd his people. Uh, Herod, on the other hand, was a ruthless ruler who, 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 uh, and tyrant who ruthlessly murdered uh, innocent babies, right, looking for Jesus. Uh, he was cruel. Uh, throughout his life, he was notorious for a number of just heartless acts towards people. Uh, but Jesus would be a king who would shepherd his people with compassion, uh, as, a, as the prophecies share, uh, foretold. Um, Herod, who was half Jew, um, should have been very interested in this uh, concept of the Messiah. Right? This, was, this was a big deal for the nation of Israel as a whole. And as its ruler, he should have been very interested and intrigued by this whole idea of the Messiah. But uh, his only interest in the Messiah is finding him so he can kill him. Right? Not exactly what I would call interest. The Magi, on the other hand, uh, had nothing to do with the nation of Israel, came from a far distant land, uh, were themselves worshippers of pagan gods. But they traveled great distances in order to worship this Jesus, the newborn king. Right? So you see these wise men, the Magi, contrasted with, with Herod in a very ironic way. Likewise, the Jewish people uh, should have been earnestly anticipating the coming of the Messiah. Uh, and oftentimes we're told that they were, and, and I think they talked about being interested in the Messiah. But it's interesting, when word, when rumor comes of a Messiah who's born in Bethlehem, they won't travel the five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check it out. Not one ruler, not one scribe, not one Pharisee, not one Jewish leader makes the journey to Bethlehem to see if the Messiah has really come. But ironically, the Magi, who, who had no real reason to care about a Jewish Messiah, travel hundreds of miles in order to find him. Uh, another interesting paradox is that the Jews had mountains of revelation in the Old Testament. Any of you ever read through the whole Old Testament? It's really long. If you haven't done it yet, you know, plan a few days because it takes a while. They had mountains of revelation and much of it pointed to Jesus and to the coming of a Messiah and the future um, unfolding of what God was going to do with the kingdom of Israel. Uh, but interestingly, it appears they paid little attention to these prophecies. They knew them. They knew that the, that the, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. 
But they really weren't paying attention to it. Right? They weren't all that interested in it. The Magi, on the other hand, only have one sign in the stars. No written specific revelation. All they do is see a sign in the stars. Um, and they give it great attention and pursue that sign with incredible diligence until they find what they are looking for. Um, Herod sought to kill Jesus in order to save himself. Jesus came to die in order to save others. Uh, those are just some of the contrasts. But the most significant one, and the one that I really want to talk about, focus on this morning, is the contrast of the fear and terror of Herod and the, and the people of Jerusalem with the joy of uh, the Magi. Uh, it says that um, when they heard, when, when, the, when the, the wise men came and they told their report that they were looking for the king of the Jews, it says that Herod was troubled when he heard this, and all Jerusalem with him. Uh, and here the word troubled is really way too mild. They were way more than just troubled. The word really has the idea of being in turmoil, being greatly agitated or even being terrified. There was a fear that came along with this news. This uh, newborn king was a threat to Herod. Um, now you might think, well, why could this news, this rumor of a baby be such a threat to Herod? Um, Herod was pretty well entrenched in power, and his power was given to him by Rome. Right? He wasn't voted into office, so he didn't have to worry about being voted out. Um, and his power really didn't even come from within the people of, of Palestine. It was appointed to him from, from Rome. So what, what would be the odds that some baby born to some carpenter in a little town of Bethlehem could pose a real threat to Herod? Why was he so freaked out by this news? Well, it's because of all the prophecies that pointed to him. Throughout the Old Testament, there were repeated prophecies that said uh, there would rise a ruler who would sit on the throne of David. And so uh, he, along with the, the Jewish leaders, knew of these prophecies, and he took them seriously. Herod was not particularly religious, but he was very superstitious, and he believed and, and took seriously these prophecies. And so he knew that, um, that this could be for real. And he was very threatened by it. And he was, in fact, terrified. He was in turmoil over this word that somebody could be coming who could take away his throne. Um, and here we have the first lesson of how not to find joy at Christmas. Okay, so here's, here's the first thing you can mark down. If you don't want to have joy at Christmas, this is how you do it. Put your own kingdom and the control of your own life and your own self-interest above God's kingdom his power, and his glory. That's exactly what Herod did. Right? He was way more concerned about his own kingdom and his own power, and he cared little or nothing for God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory. Uh, Satan and, the, and the, the world promises that um, there will be joy in the pursuit of self-centered self-gratification. That's the message of the world. The world will tell you over and over again, you will be happy and you will find joy when you get what you want. Uh, you know, sadly, a lot of the materialism of Christmas kind of feeds into this, right? What I want for Christmas is, and if I get that, I'm going to be really happy. And that's kind of the message of the world. And it, it tells us this is how we can live, that 
if we give what we want, if we can gratify our own desires and interests and wants, that will make you happy. And it really is what it's at the root of all sin, right? Why do we sin? Well, one, because we're, we're in rebellion against God, apart from the transforming work of the cross. But secondly, we believe that sin is a path to happiness, right? Do you sin because you're pretty convinced it will make you miserable? No, right? That would make it easy to avoid. No, we sin because it's attractive. Because we think, you know, if I don't get that, if I can't do that, if I can't have this thing that God's told me is off limits, I can't be happy. That's the lie of Satan and the lie of the world. And that's, that's where Herod was. If I can't keep power, if I can't keep control, if I can't have the things I want, I'm not going to be happy. And so he will go to any extent to get it. And he's in turmoil and worry and fear that he could be losing these things. Um, of course, he wasn't in turmoil for very long because he came up with a plan that he thought would fix it. He says, well, I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I'm going to find this baby and I'm going to kill him. And when the Magi outsmart him, uh, instead of going and looking for the baby, he just kills every two-year-old child in the whole town. And he thinks he has protected himself. But the reality is that he was a man who was constantly living in turmoil. And that's what happens when you think selfish pursuits will make you happy. Um, his, his selfishness literally uh, caused fear and turmoil that robbed him of every possible source of joy. Uh, because of his fear, he, he um, killed his favorite wife. <laughs> because um, he was sure she was out to get her. He killed her mother. He killed two of her sons. And eventually he killed his own eldest son, who was heir to the throne. Does this sound like a happy guy? <laughs> this sounds like a guy who needs some serious counseling. <laughs> he is not a happy person. And you see, the selfish pursuit of getting your own way is not a path to joy. Uh, this is how bad it was with Herod. Augustus, the Roman emperor, uh, for years had confidence in Herod, but after he started killing off all of his family, he finally acknowledged that it was safer to be King Herod's pig, which in Greek is hus, than to be his son, which in Greek is huios. Kind of a pun on words. It's better to be Herod's pig than his son. But that's the kind of reputation he had. Um, there's no happiness there. Okay, so we get that about Herod, right? Herod makes sense that he would be threatened by word of a king. But it doesn't just say that Herod was in turmoil. It says Herod and all Jerusalem with him. I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating. Why was all Jerusalem in an uproar, in turmoil, at news of the, of the coming promised king, the Messiah? Um, weren't they looking for him? Right? Wasn't this like the hope of Israel that this Messiah would come up and would deliver them from Rome? Um, wouldn't they and shouldn't they be excited? Well, I think it's fascinating that Jerusalem was not excited. Now, it's possible here that the focus may have been when, when it speaks about Jerusalem, that the focus was on the ruling elite, the chief priests and the scribes and the, the leaders of, of Jerusalem. Certainly they were the ones that Herod consulted uh, to find out the place of the Messiah's birth. Uh, so it's possible that, that, that that was the focus. And certainly they had a lot vested in power as well, just like Herod. 
But it's also possible that the turmoil was more widespread among the people of Jerusalem. Um, and the truth is that oftentimes we are much more comfortable with things the way they are than with change. Because right? there's something secure, or we imagine secure, in stability. Like, let's just keep the status quo. Uh, and it really brings us to a second important lesson in how not to find joy. <laughs> okay, the second way to not find joy is to have no faith in God's plan, His goodness, and His power. So that was the problem of the people, of, ultimately, of, of Israel and Jerusalem. And if it, if it was not true on this day, it was true 33 years later when they crucified Jesus. Right? Um, However much they were rejecting him on this day is not clear, but certainly 33 years later, when it was clear that Jesus was coming as the promised messianic king, Jerusalem rejected him. In fact, they nailed him to the cross. Why would they do that? Well, because they didn't really believe in God's promises. Um, you know, if you don't have faith that God's plan is good and eternal and he has the power to accomplish everything that he said he would, then what happens is we need to look to ourselves and to the world to bring us safety and security. And that's exactly what the people of Jerusalem did. They wanted Jerusalem to be safe and they thought then they looked to Rome as their savior to do that. They didn't want a Messiah coming. They didn't want a Savior coming who could rock the boat and turn their world upside down and threaten their security. So while they talked a lot about following Jesus, in the end they did not receive Him as King. How about us? Do we really have faith in Jesus to the extent that we surrender all to Him? Like, it's one thing to talk about, oh yeah, Jesus is king, let's worship Jesus as king, we sing about it. But the question is, do we believe it to the extent that we surrender all to him to let him take control over our life? Do we believe really in his goodness and his power to work out his plan and that his plan is better? Or do we, like I many times in my life, have gone, God, you want me to do what? You want me to go to Thailand? That's a terrible idea. Right? What are you thinking? Are you just being cruel to me? Right? How could you be good if you send me to Thailand? Right? Do we really believe that God has our best interest and that his kingdom is ultimately better than anything we could hold on to for ourselves? He is a king who will turn our world inside out and upside down. Um, but we need to have confidence that his plan is worth it. Jerusalem has no such faith. And so they consequently have no joy. And they too live in a constant state of turmoil and fear. It's ironic that they look to Rome for protection, but at the same time they despise Rome. They were constantly fearful and turmoil about Roman leaders. And 70 years later, they revolt against Rome and Rome sweeps in and completely destroys the city and levels it to the ground. So much for safety and security. Because they trusted the wrong Savior. Okay, so that's, not, that's how not to have joy, guaranteed. Uh, let's look at the positive side. Where, where does, uh, that's kind of the Christmas fear. What about Christmas cheer? Right, where does joy come from? Well, we learn about joy from the Magi. And it says in verse 9, I just love this. It says, after listening to the king, 
They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now get this, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Matthew just piles up a bunch of words here. He can't, one word is not enough. So he gets out his shovel and he just starts piling up words here to stack them up to make emphasis. Okay? He says, first of all, they, they rejoiced. You know what rejoicing is? How do you define rejoicing? Like, I know what it means to reheat something. It means to heat it up again, right? To return something means to bring it back. What does it mean to rejoice? Like to joyce over again? Well, actually, what it means is to gush with joy. Rejoicing means gushing with joy. And that's what they were doing. So they were gushing with joy, but not just with joy. Or not not just in a a gushing sense. It says they were exceedingly gushing. (laughs) Exceedingly gushing. They were excessive in their gushing. They were getting carried away in their gushing. Okay? But not only that, right? They were, they were gushing with joy, with great joy, in fact, right? Abundant joy, overwhelming joy. These guys were happy. Why were they so happy? They were so happy because they saw a star. <laughs> what were they smoking? <laughs> What was wrong with these guys? What was going on that they were so happy about a star? Well, I think there's four things we can, we can learn about uh, the Magi and, and from where their joy came from. Uh, and so let's back up a little bit and kind of retrace their steps real quickly. And, and here's four things that I think we can learn from them about joy. First of all, act on what you know. Okay, act on what you know. Like we said, the, the Jews had been given piles, mountains of revelation. The Magi had not. They, they did not have uh, access to the Hebrew Bible. Um, it is possible, and some, some speculate, it doesn't say where they came from. It says they came from the east. Um, the east is pretty big. Right? I don't know what country. It's possible they came from Babylon, and it's, it's, it is possible that they had heard some of the prophecies of Daniel, or maybe even had written records of Daniel's prophecies, but we don't really know that. What we do know is that they were given a revelation from God in the form of a star. And these guys, part of what Magi did is they studied the stars and they understood astronomy and astrology. And I'm never quite sure which is which, but they knew both. Um, and, and through that, they came to understand somehow that a king, a, a new king was born to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Right, that was the revelation they were given. And we don't know how they got that. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is that they received clear and specific revelation from God. Well, some people will say, well, how do you know it was God? How do you know they just didn't you know, make it up? Well, because Jesus was born, right? It was true. So we know it came from God and we know it was revelation. They didn't just invent it themselves. Um, But it's not so much uh, how they got this revelation. What's most significant is what they did with it. And what they did with it is they acted on it. They didn't just sit back and go, oh, that's interesting. Let's mark that on the calendar. No, they they started packing their bags. They said, we've got to go see this king. We need to go worship him. Um, And it's just in such stark, stark, stark contrast to the Jews who had all this revelation and yet paid so little attention to it. 
And actually, it's not completely true. The Jews did pay attention to the parts of the Old Testament they liked. And apparently what they liked were the rules, because they were all about the rules. Now, I don't get that because I'm really not a rule person myself. Um, but they apparently liked the rules, and that's where they, they dug in, and they paid lots of attention to the rules. And in fact, they liked the rules so much they invented their own rules, because there weren't enough rules in the Bible. So they made rules about rules about rules. Yay. But the rest of the Bible, they kind of ignored, and especially the parts that focused on the coming of the kingdom and the Messiah. And they weren't paying attention to those things. Uh, they didn't act on them. They didn't take action about the things that were revealed to them. But the, the Magi did. Uh, and I really believe a, the beginning of our journey to joy starts when we start paying attention to what God is speaking to you and acting on it. Right? It's not enough just to hear it and know it. We need to do something with it. Uh, we have even more revelation than the, than the Jewish people did. We have the New Testament. Thankfully, not as long. You can read it in about a third the time. So I encourage you, read the New Testament. But don't just read it. Don't just learn about it. Don't just know it as information in your head. Uh, but don't do anything about Right? Joy comes when we start practicing and doing what Scripture tells us to. Uh, when we pay attention to all that's written, not just the parts we like. Are we like the Jews where we pick out our favorite things and we pay attention to those, but there's parts of the Bible that kind of rub us the wrong way, and so we just ignore those parts. It doesn't work that way, right? Joy comes when we pay attention to all that is written in the Scripture, um, and we diligently take action. We, we do something about what we know. We put it into practice. Here's the thing. When you get to heaven and you stand before God, God is not going to give you a 1,000 question test and, 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 and survey all that you know about the Bible. And if you can't name all the sons of Abraham, you fail. Okay? He's not going to do that. But he, what he is going to do is this. He's going to say, okay, here I know what you know. right? Because I can read your mind. And I know that you know these things. What did you do about them? Right? How did you put into practice those things that you knew? Maybe you only knew five things. Maybe you're a little slow. Right? But if you're only doing one of those five things, you're proving to be a bad steward. And he says, well, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant to those who use all the talents, right? Who make use of everything that God gives them. Um, so they, they, they took action, right? They, 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 they did something with what they knew. Next thing. Uh, I call it the beginning of wisdom. Next thing that they did is it said not only did they take action, but they, they took a specific action. They wanted to go see, see this king, but they didn't want to see him just out of sake of curiosity. They weren't going on a journey just because, I mean, I heard Bethlehem's nice this time of year. Let's go check out that king guy. No, it says they went, why? To worship him. To worship him. This is a remarkable thing. Here's these three magi, these three magicians from a faraway distant country, pagans. Uh, and they're interested in a king of a country that doesn't exist. Right? This is born king of the Jews, king of the nation of Israel. Did you know that at this time period, Israel was not a nation, even less so than it is now? <laughs> okay? It was not a nation. It was a precinct under Rome. And they're interested in this king of a nation that doesn't exist. Why? Right? Why? And not only that, 
But they want to go to worship this king of a nation that doesn't exist. What are they thinking? Well, I think, there's, I think this is what they're thinking. They saw this star and they believed that if, if, it was, if it was big enough that the stars would announce the birth of this king, this king was the real deal. And someday this king was going to be somebody that they may have to reckon with. Um, that one day they may have to stand before this king and give an answer. They may have to have good diplomacy with this king at some day in the future. There's a sense in which they had the fear of the Lord. Right? In Proverbs and Psalms, it says three different times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's some sense in which they feared what this news meant to them as well. But their fear was placed in the right place. It was placed in, in God who gave this message. Um, if Jesus was going to be a great king, they wanted to be on good terms with him. That's what this is about. They wanted to worship him because they thought someday if he's going to become a great king, I want to go and say, hey, Jesus, remember us? We're the guys who gave you that big bag of gold when you were born. Right? Remember? Um, Right? They're, they're playing it forward. They're, they're banking on the fact that this guy is going to be somebody powerful in the future. And there's a sense of fear that moved them to respect this coming king and take him seriously. So here's another lesson. And this lesson is for uh, control freaks. Any of you out there who are control freaks, right? Here you go. Which at all, some level we all are, right? We all want control. Um, Here's the principle. Joy does not come from holding power and being controlled. Rather, joy comes by worshiping the one who is in power. Okay. Joy does not come from being in control. It comes from worshiping the one who is in control. Herod had it all wrong. He thought that joy would come by keeping control and holding on to power no matter the cost. The Magi understood that they did not have power. But that was okay if they made friends with the guy who did. And that's why they went and worshipped him. And there's wisdom in that. If this king will someday rule the world, we must come and worship him. Joy will be found by those who have the faith to know who is the only true and almighty king. And have the wisdom to seek to be on good terms with him. Okay. Next thing we can learn from them. Seek Jesus, not joy. Um, it's amazing the lengths at which these guys went to find Jesus. Uh, wherever the country was in the east, it was a long journey across a very severe desert. Um, uh, but they were determined to find Jesus. And what they were seeking was Jesus, not joy. Because here's the thing. If they were seeking joy, they would have stayed home. Right? Who goes on this long journey... At your own personal expense, uh, you know, there's not joy in that. But they, they were determined to find Jesus. No matter what it took, no matter how far they had to travel, no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty of the obstacles along the way. And there were many. They come into Jerusalem assuming if he's a king, he must be in the capital city. Let's go to Jerusalem. And it's a massive city and they can't find him. And they go to Herod and Herod says, I don't know what you're talking about. Right? How are they going to find this Jesus? This newborn king. Uh, apparently his own people didn't even know what was happening. But they didn't let those obstacles stop them. 
The incredible thing is on the journey, not even it happened even before they, they found Jesus, but on the journey, they meet with this incredible joy. Because they've taken steps, because they're determined to find Jesus, because they are searching him, they encounter this overwhelming, abundant joy. So here's another principle. If, if your search is for joy, you will be greatly disappointed. Right? As we said before, um, the things the world promises cannot give you joy. And if the reason you're, you're pursuing religion is because you think it will bring you joy, it doesn't work that way. Right? If you're seeking joy, you will never find it. Um, we can enjoy things, but things cannot bring us joy. What we need to seek instead is Jesus. And that's exactly what the Magi did. They were seeking Jesus. What a great lesson for us, right? What are we seeking above everything else? What are we willing to travel the greatest distance for? What are we willing to sacrifice the greatest amount for? Um, Are we fighting through every obstacle to encounter Jesus, to know him, to be in relationship with him? Are we seeking him above all in life? Next thing. And I think this is the real key. Um, what really was happening in them? What were they really so happy about? Right? They're on their way. They're seeking Jesus. Boom, they see the star. They get really excited and they're happy. They're full of exceeding abundant joy. Um, what was it about the appearance of this star that, that brought them such happiness? Well, here's what happened. Uh, and the Bible's not real clear, so we don't know exactly the details, but when they were home, somehow the planets or the stars lined up in such a way that they got this, this revelation that a king was born to the Jews. They set off on their journey. It may have taken them weeks or months or maybe even a year. We don't know. But they arrive in, in Jerusalem, and apparently that sign, that sign in the heavens disappeared. You know, the planets rotated, the stars shifted. Uh, things move in the, in, the, in the heavenlies, and that sign was gone. Right? They get to Jerusalem, and they're looking for this king. They go to Herod. He doesn't know. The scribes and the, the, the religious leaders say, yeah, you know, there's this Messiah dude supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Go there. Herod says, yeah, go there, and if you find him, let me know so I can kill him. I mean, worship him. Right? Um, so they're heading out five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem's a smaller town. Um, but still, they're thinking, how are we going to find this child, right? Um, how are we going to know who he is? Does the child even know who he is? How are we going to know? Right? It seems like an impossible task. Um, the, you know, the scribes don't know where he is. How are they going to find him? And it says, it says uh, as they went on their way... Um, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Uh, now, this is apparently a different kind of star because the stars I've seen, they're, they're like way far away and they don't actually go before you and lead you. This is a unique supernatural kind of star that actually led them probably much closer, maybe even, you know, I don't know, hovering over them somehow. And it moved. And it moved with them and it led them directly to Bethlehem and down this street and down that corner and around this street. And it led them right exactly to the house of Mary and Joseph. This is some special kind of star. 
and they rejoiced at this, at this what? At this divine guidance of grace. What they were really rejoicing about and what they were really happy about is they had received and encountered God's grace. You see, they couldn't find this on their own. And as the story unfolds, we see that really from the very beginning, it had been God's grace that made them aware of this king. It had been God's grace that enabled them to come and find the right people to help them in Jerusalem. And now God, in his grace, sends a special messenger of light to lead them to the very exact place where Jesus was. They encountered grace. God's help and favor. Um, They would never do this on their own. But God, in his grace, led them to Jesus. I believe that that's the source of of all joy. You and I, if it was up to us to find God, to seek Jesus, to find him on our own, do you realize how impossible it is for us? Do you know that? Do you realize it was up to your brain power? You cannot begin to fathom who God is. It was up to your will. You would never choose him. It was up to you. You would never walk down the path to find him. You would run the other direction. Because that's our nature is to rebel against him. There's nothing in you or I that draws us to God. Yeah, we have that God-shaped hole, but we don't want to fill it with God. We want to fill it with everything else the world has to offer. The only reason you know God is because God in His grace sent a star to lead you to Him. Right? He's revealed Himself to you. He sent you His Word and His truth, but He's, He's given you guidance so that that Word makes sense and you can understand it. That is God's grace. Where would we be if God had not sent a star to guide us? we would be hopelessly lost. Um, But he didn't. He didn't let you wander off and be lost. He showed you who Jesus was and he showed you the way. And by his grace, he is leading you step by step. And you will see him. If you are seeking him, you will find him by God's grace. Does that make you happy? It should. If you know who Jesus is and if you love and worship him, If you are seeking him, there's incredible joy in knowing that God in his grace is going to get you there. You're not alone, right? He will send his messengers to help you each step of the way. And I believe that's why they were full of joy. They realized, wow, God, God's helping us. God is leading us. God is going to make sure that we are successful. Because we're seeking the right thing, and he's going to make sure we find it. Finally, the story ends this way. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I find this fascinating. Their, their, their quest begins this way. Their quest begins to find Jesus and worship him. And it ends with them finding Jesus and worship him, worshiping him. But if my, if my thoughts are correct, the beginning of their journey was very different than the end in this. At the beginning of their journey, they set out to find him out of fear. 
right? The, the, the fear of the Lord. They, they thought, we, this is going to be a king we don't want to be on the wrong side of. And so they worshipped him. They sought to worship him out of a sense of fear. Um, out of the conviction that they needed to respect this great and mighty king. But at the end of the journey, when they actually meet him, their worship now flows out of joy they found along the way. Right? They've encountered God's grace. And they, they, their, their worship pours out of the experience of God's grace in guiding them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and worship. But love for God and the experience of grace is the fullness and completion of our highest worship and praise. Why do you worship and honor God? Right? Is, it, is it only because you fear Him? If that's where you are, then, then you need to grab hold and understand grace. Because God wants you to worship Him ultimately, not only because you fear Him, but because you are in awe of who He is and you are filled with the joy of knowing His grace. And they, are, they, they, they worship Him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, those gifts were ultimately the gifts worthy of a king. And again, Matthew's point here is that Jesus is a king. He came to rule. He's the coming Messiah. He's the one who has the right to rule on David's throne. Um, but just a couple of observations about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold um, is a picture of worshiping God with our, our wealth and our treasure. You know, we work, we labor, we get paid. It represents our doing, our activity. It represents what we can accomplish. And we are to worship God with those things. Not only with our financial resources and our tithes and our offerings, but in all that we do is to be a gift of worship to God. But what is frankincense and myrrh? Um, checked at Lotus, didn't have any. They were fresh out, right? What is it? Well, it basically it's smelly stuff, right? It's perfume. It's stuff they use for incense and for perfuming. And they are valuable not for their purchasing power or what they accomplish, but they are valuable because they are a pleasing aroma. And it's a picture of worshiping God by means of a life lived as a pleasing and satisfying aroma to Him. That is, your life, has it been cleansed and washed by Jesus by His blood to made into something sweet and pleasing to Him? A sweet-smelling incense that rises up to Him. Or is there hidden away in the corners of your thoughts and your words and your habits piles of rotting garbage that are an offense to him? Right. Is the inward character of your soul one that God delights in because it, it's pleasing to him? Right. That's worship. May our lives be washed by his blood and cleansed and made a sweet aroma to him so that all that we do is pleasing to God. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.